That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Can we she... use the word tape? Tape ah. was a substance used to record things long ago. <laughs> For people who don't know. I am so going long with this one, Veronica. I'm so sorry. Okay, here we go. Adventurer, global speaker, explorer, founder of Impossible to Possible, and I am just getting started on Ultra Distance Runner's Ray Zahab's resume. So, once a pack-a-day smoker, Ray has actually set on expeditions crossing both the Sahara and the South Pole by foot. His story is beyond incredible, and I am so excited to have him as we head into the next episode of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And, of course, for more information, you can always head to extensionmarketing.com. Ray, I'm like... like I'm giddy. I'm stoked. I just, but I just, I'm living your life with Leanne Lang. Like if you said that 10 times, there's a, a lot of L's. Yes. It's a lot of L's. I, I, do you know my nickname was like L squared for the longest time? No. It was a, just easier. Like the, yeah, I know. That's a great. You know what? Yeah. That reminds me of a, do you remember that band? If you were into alternate, I'm 50. So Lollapalooza at La Ronde and it was L7. Do you remember that band <laughs> L7? Do you remember that? They oh, were amazing. Veronica's like going through the glass, looking well, over, totally. going like, oh my Anyhow, God, totally. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I apologize. It's an honor to be here because I've been watching you on TV forever. Right? Yeah, it was a long time. Yeah, we are. And, and we go back. Like, I remember doing interviews, I think, yeah. even when you had really first started doing all of this. And then I'm thinking, as I was trying to book you in, I'm like, what are the chances that you're not on some 100-day expedition uh, in some foreign place in the world that I was actually going to have you at home in Chelsea? And the timing just works. Everybody thinks that I'm gone 365 in some jungle or desert in some part of the world. Honestly, it's... It's crazy frantic for 40 days on expedition. And then the rest of the year, it's like training, it's family, it's everything else. So it's it's everything ha- kind of happens at once. And so I don't leave again until mid-February. I know. I was so, like beyond stoked. Yeah. And But that is that realization for so long. I've just every, you know, when I, I follow you and I, I just feel like you're constantly somewhere. But there's also the promotion of what you're doing and what you're training for. So maybe it just kind of was that sense. Well, exactly. And it's not only that. I mean, you know, doing what I do, you got to make a living. People are always like, well, how do you make money? You know, and it's a great, it's a great question. I mean, I, you know, because I spend a lot of my time volunteering with my own organization, Impossible to Possible, which I know you're going to ask me about. But my year is kind of split up between that volunteer time, organizing youth-based initiatives, et cetera. When I'm in school speaking, I'm not charging. This is all volunteer Mm -hmm. time, and that all takes time. So the rest of my time, I'm like scrambling to try and make a living. (laughs) So I do a lot of speaking and stuff, you know, mostly corporate stuff. And there's a lot of travel that's involved with that as well. And I'll tell you what, that's exciting too, because I get to meet people that I otherwise wouldn't. I get to engage with people, I share like stories. You're so personal. Like you I just love doing like that you're stuff. so engaged. And I think people are just they're so drawn to just that you are engaged and that you're passionate and that you have so much to say. Uh, and I don't think this would have been something you would have thought you would be doing. No, you for know, sure. You just not. mentioned like you were fifty and, and that definitely wasn't the case, kind of you know, backtrack thirty years that you're like, I'm gonna be this. No, exactly. <laughs> and you know, it's so it's funny. I've been so I, I I come in here and I'm joking with you guys on like I'm saying I'm fifty. I'm gonna turn fifty in a few months. Mm-hmm. But what I've done, I was my buddies and I were talking about this the other day, is I embracing it I'm embracing it early. 
Do you know what I'm saying? So like I'm in there. My head is in the 50 game. So now it's like, what am I doing for the next 20? And so I'm already sort of, that's that's where my head goes. Like I'm thinking about what's ahead of me, not what's behind me. I've ran 14,000 kilometers in deserts alone, not including Arctic projects and unsupported projects. You know, that's a lot of time on your feet, but it feels like every expedition that I go on, the next one, I'm just starting. Well, and I know, you know? that I, I read one of the articles that, you, or one of the blogs that you had written uh, about needing the purpose of having, once you accomplish something, having something planned to look forward to, either in the short term or in the long term. So I can see that your head is already there. But do you mind taking me back? Of course. Can you go back just a little bit? I can't remember anything past last week. My <laughs> kids remind me of that all the time. But uh, I, yes, let's go. And your go. kids, you have uh, 10 and a 7-year-old? 10 and 7. Okay. Amazing uh, runners, skiers, they do it all. Yeah. Yeah, I like can. I girls, can imagine. They just rock. Did you grow up like that? That you were no, growing up doing? No, my brother and I. We grew up um, in West Carlton, mm-hmm. and uh, we had a farm. We mm-hmm. had like a hobby farm. My parents did. And so you know, you're you're running around. If you wanted to see your neighbors and hang out with the kids, it wasn't like nowadays. I mean, there wasn't even answering machines. I mean, if somebody had an answering had to- machine, they were fancy stuff, right? So you basically, your parents had to catch the other parents. Like when they were home and say, hey, can, you know, Ray and John go over and, and, and play? And then we had to cross a field, you know, a hay field, 25 acres to get to the neighbors to hang out. And so I think you were, you know, it was generally an active lifestyle, mm-hmm. like, you know, in retrospect. You weren't sedentary as a kid. It wasn't you were, as, you were, as you were a young kid. No, mm-hmm. in my teens, I became sedentary, I would say, as I began smoking and drinking and doing all the things that a lot of us did do. Mm-hmm. It's just that I take everything to excess. So that's just the way. In I'm, everything you know. that you do, yeah. you, you go to the extreme. Yeah, for sure. I so know you were that a really myself. good smoker and drinker. Then. I loved it. Yeah. I love smoking and drinking and all forms of things that you can put in your body. I love that. Uh, you know, were you abusing was, your body? Like when you were doing that as a teen and into the early 20s, I'm assuming, like were you still running the fields uh, to the neighbor's house no, to go do that? No, like, were, I mean, or were you really just kind of, you got this lazy? This was like in the late yeah. teens, right? So, you know, go, uh, late high school years, I guess you would say, going into, you know, college, of which I, you know, dropped out. But, you know, it... I, you know, in retrospect, yeah. you can look at it. When you're living it in the time, it just feels like you're partying a lot. That's all. It doesn't really feel. I honestly Did you have think, purpose? Like what No, there what was that. Doing? I think that was the one difference. Yeah. Because I've had this conversation with so many people. And I and I say, you know, yeah, I was a, I was a pack-a-day smoker. You mm-hmm. know, like that's what it ended up being. But there's a lot of friends of mine that were pack-a-day smokers. There was a lot of people. That, I think that where maybe the difference was, was when I was sort of sailing into my late 20s. And I really was still doing nothing. Like I wasn't really doing anything of significance that I felt was purposeful. And without sounding over dramatic about the whole thing, seeing other people have careers, steady paychecks, starting families, you know, into our mm. early 30s. And I was thinking, man, I'm not like I'm really not doing any of those things right now. You know, and what, what were you doing? Well, you know, I, we grew up riding horses. I was. I was training horses. I, okay. you know, I was in Texas for a bit doing that. I was just bouncing around. I wasn't really. There was no. There was, there no, was purpose. no. There was no real identity or or um, solid thing that I looked forward to doing or passion or any of that. And I'll tell you, we all make choices. Like uh, there's no. There's no. Uh, you know, in the time I probably was feeling sorry for myself. Who knows, right? But when you go through a challenge in your life or difficult periods or whatever. It's very relative to someone 
as an individual. So if you ask somebody how they felt in that moment, they felt worse than anybody could have ever felt ever because it's your personal experience. You can't, you can't compare yourself to anyone else. So every person, regardless of background or, or anything, goes through challenges in their lives and rough periods. And it's how you digest it and it's how you feel that's, that's relevant. Everything else is irrelevant in the moment. You know, it's your own personal experience. And all I knew is that when I finally came to this conclusion and reality that if I wanted to feel better about myself and I wanted to find happiness, it wasn't going to come from outside. It wasn't going to come from getting a lot of money or <laughs> doing something. I mean, nobody else was going to be able to make me feel better but myself for myself right you know what i'm that saying that is that takes for so many that is so much effort for a lot of people to even get to that point maybe like, maybe i think it's in all of us so i think we underestimate i think you, people yeah. underestimate themselves sorry to interrupt you no people yeah un- i talk a lot if i cut Love too much, it. just coming up but people underestimate what is what is in them you know it, there was this company I, I was sponsored by for a long time, supplement company, and they had a photo of me on one of these crazy fat bikes. It's minus 60. I'm riding through the Arctic, and I have all these bags hanging off my bike. I was unsupported. And the quote they used was something like, you already have everything you need to succeed. And so I, I believe that about people. I think that when we really are honest with ourselves, right, when you can really look in the mirror and say, I'm, I'm just like, I'm not happy. I'm not happy and I don't like the direction that things are going. If you could take an introspective, if you're in that point, maybe you're totally stoked on how things are going. So done, you Mm -hmm. don't need to change anything. But for where I was, it was being honest with myself and, and having that conversation with myself that I wanted a change. I wanted to do something. I just didn't know what it was gonna be. I just had no idea what would give me happiness or where I would find passion or where I would find the things that I thought I needed. I didn't know where I was going to find him. I'm lucky I have my brother, John, my younger brother, who had gone through this life transformation. He was this guy in high school that was same as me, you know, smoking, drinking, you know, not in great shape. Um, And he becomes this Ironman triathlete and he becomes this mountain biker and rock climber and yeah, he had a, a job that perhaps he wasn't happy with at the time, but he was making a bit of money. He was just, he had independence. He was himself. And I could see this this confidence and, and passion that was growing in him from the things he was doing. And I thought, wow, I mean, that's inspiring. So it doesn't need to be um, like seeing Beyonce on stage to be inspirational, although that's inspirational. You know, it's, 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 it's relative again. And I knew this person. And, and it was tangible, you know, he's been around me my entire life and I'm seeing this person in such a cosmic shift. And I thought, wow, if I could, if I could do even a little bit what he does, I think my life would be different. And that's what start. that's what precipitated everything. That's why I'm here talking to you today because of my brother, I would say. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? I did not know that. Uh, no, I didn't. Um, and it's interesting because we had Sarah. Your brother's wife, mm-hmm. uh, Sarah Zahab, in um, a Very couple months ago. Sarah. Yeah, and you know, totally. and and she speaks incredibly highly of you. She's like, you've got to get Ray Ray in. I'm like, I know, but uh, I didn't know. I, I didn't know that that was the trigger. So you you see this, you see this transformation of an mm-hmm. individual so close to you. How do you then? Begin well, the then I I knew that I 
was going to do the things he does. And he made it uh, achievable for me. So going out on a mountain bike with him, me taking my mountain bike and having to push it because I, I, it was too hard for me to ride, you know, um, climbing and he was in control of the ropes and I was terrified, you know, all of these things. But the one thing, and this is where I go back to, it's very relative to us as individuals. Quitting smoking for me was very difficult to do. And I've given presentations hundreds of presentations over the years. And there's always somebody that says me, big deal. So I quit smoking in like a day, dude. Well, like it took me three years. And I always remind them, yeah, but you know what? What's hard for, for me may be very easy for you. And I loved smoking. But I also knew that it was sort of the symbol of everything that was negative in my life. And so unhealthy, especially with everything that we mm. know. And I thought if I can give this up and control this thing that is so negative that I am so in love with doing it seems, if I can control this, then I can make all the other changes that I need to in my life. And that would take three years to make that happen. So that like New Year's Eve 2000, that was the big change. And when I made that change, then everything excelled. My life changed 180 degrees. And I believe, I believe in karma. I believe in the energy that you put out there. If you're not looking for that return on it, it's gonna it's gonna reciprocate in some way, and because I was so truly trying to improve my quality of life and and treat my body better and and you know live in a more positive direction, I think that I started to excel in these cardiovascular things. I became a really good mountain biker, competitive mountain biker. Like I think of what your lungs. <laughs> went through. yeah Tell uh, me about and it. then the, the the fascinating part that the how the body is able to to rid itself and heal itself and to be able to provide you with this lung capacity that's going yeah, to well, allow I, you to run these you know obviously marathons. you know some my brother's an amazing athlete genetics play a yeah. bit of a role mm -hmm. in our ability to do the things that we do um you know i i know that for a fact as as a runner but i wasn't a runner in those days because john and i are very physically different people he's very tall mm -hmm. and so i did not see myself as a runner. I saw myself, I was a great mountain biker and a good climber. So I thought that's what I'm going to do. And I was passionate about it. I went from uh, cross country mountain bike racing to 24 hour solo mountain bike racing. I was I, like racing mountain bikes and doing adventure races and all this crazy stuff within three years of quitting smoking. I mean, it was, it was insane, but it was when I read an article about ultra marathons in a magazine that I was so taken by seemingly average, normal, everyday people that looked like me were doing things that were so extraordinary, like running in races that were multiple marathons back to back, that I was compelled to want to try, not for any other reason than to see, I knew I, I, I was convinced I couldn't finish an ultra marathon, even though I was a great mountain biker and I had great cardiovascular endurance. This mm -hmm. is 2003 going into 2004. But those people that were doing these things were not doing them obviously because it felt good didn't make any sense to me how could that possibly feel good but they had to be learning something significant about themselves through going through a process right so i wanted to know what that was that these people knew so that's why i did my very first ultra marathon which incidentally had you okay how many marathons had you none zero i had never, you had never done, done a, a marathon no, or, prior to doing an ultra no i did okay. i did tons of of adventure racing okay so you could be 
uh, you know, navigating through and, through and the love bush, undead and adventure races. You know what they're like. Yeah. But you're not really, in those days, I mean, at least. <laughs> I barely survived. Yeah, in those adventure races, I mean, it was more about the sleep deprivation mm-hmm. and stringing together the multiple sports. But we weren't running. But we would trek. I mean, the, I think we trekked 50K one time. But trekking is different. I'd done tons of trekking trips with my brother um, and stuff like that leading up to um, the first ultramarathon. But never had I done sequential kilometers back to back. I'd never done a running race, period. And the first race I did was 100 miles, 160K in the Yukon. And I won it against all odds, against me even thinking I'd get to the finish line. It's a much longer story. But suffice to say, I went through so many epiphanies during that race. Like you would like not out, believe. Can I just like almost like out of body? Like yeah, out, I would out say. Of, like I would I would think, and especially when you're running the Sahara and the, and, and the stuff, like you are you are an in and out of body experience. For well, that's a, a different. Of it. You know, I I I yes. would think. You, the, you know what it is is in the Yukon. This is what happened. I about the halfway point, I was about to give up because I was barely I was crawling. Right. Like, is it uh, you're in excruciating pain? Pain. You can't feel cold. your feet. The blisters. Like, yeah, what? What no is? No blisters, it? but pain, no. cold, and I'm in the middle of the Yukon. It's there's only 45 people in this race, or however many I can't remember, and so nobody's together. So you don't even, and you're in the middle of the woods. It's the middle of the night. I mean, I was terrified. I mean, I just didn't. I had no idea. I'd never. So it was the longest I'd been in a situation sort of like that at that time. And um, and this is what year. 2004. So it's, yeah, and it's still not. I mean, I think ultra, ultra distance, ultra marathons are a little bit more popular now than they would have been. Oh, for sure. For sure. No one knew this was going on. The world is going on like everyday life, and there's 45 of you up in the Yukon. But, but you know what? You're making my point for me. And that's exactly what it is. You see, so this race was was a well known race, but uh, I am in this race as an unknown. And I'm doing this, and I get to this halfway point where I'm about to give up. Like, seriously give up. And all I could think about was all the people that I said I was going to do this race to. Buddies of mine that both I'd grown up with and ones that had, I were new friends that had come to know me through the sports that I was doing. And, and a lot of them said, dude, it's a bad idea, man. I mean, seriously, you've never ran in a, in a race. I know you're in good shape. You're a mountain biker. and But it's not the same thing. Running an ultramarathon is not the same thing. But I couldn't reconcile that, right? And now I'm out there thinking, oh, my God, I got to drop out of this race. What am I going to tell all these people? And honestly, that's when I had the biggest epiphany. And it was that nobody gives a damn. Like, I mean, honestly, it was about me being there. It was my choice to go there. People are at home. It's the middle of the night. They're asleep. They're living their own lives. Whether I finish this race or not has no consequence on their lives. I'm sure they'll care for a day or two. Like, oh, yeah, bomber, you had to give up. They... I took every penny I had to go and do this race. It's not going to impact them in a negative way as it will me. And so I realized in that moment that I spent the first 30 years of my life talking myself out of doing stuff. When things got really hard, I would find an excuse to back away. If it was if it was a challenge that seemed, you know, far reaching or I'd really have to go for I would find an excuse not to do it because I would predict a negative outcome. Like it wasn't going to happen for me. It wasn't going to work out. So I'm in this moment. Things are really hard. I cannot see myself going any further. And all I'm worried about is what people are going to think when I go home and I say, oh, I had to give up. And that. And I thought, no, I'm done doing this. Like I'm not doing this. Like it was like, it just was total clarity. I had no money left. I had, not, like, I had nothing to lose. And so I thought, 
I'm just going to go a little further. Look, I, this well, is it. Just, I'm living. Let's just go I'm a little further now. Me. Yeah. And 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 so I, I I basically shone my headlamp on the next tree that I could see, and I started making my way towards that tree, and then the next one, and the next one, and before you knew it, I went into like this crazy zone, that you know you see athletes, you hear about this things. And the only way I can describe it, the best way I can describe it, this subconscious sort of existence that you and I, that you just mentioned a little while ago, is like when you're reading a book that you're totally into and you look up at the clock, you look down again, two hours have evaporated because you're so into the book, right? That's basically what happened to me when I was out there. And one thing leads to another. And I mean, you know, eventually I reached the finish line. It felt like minutes. It was 15 more hours or whatever it was. And and I had no pain. There was, at the, when I reached that finish line, I had no pain in my body. I wasn't feeling the cold anymore. I felt like a million bucks. And had, we underestimate ourselves. Had you realized that you were passing people or that or no. were you? No, here's the thing. Where were Well, here's the thing. In this race, because people are so spread out, right? There was a couple of checkpoints along the way where you could stop. And I remember going into one of those checkpoints. There was a bunch of people around, but I wasn't paying attention to who was around. People were refilling their water. Like it was like every 50K or whatever. And then do, managing their gear. And then there was two more people I saw, two more people I saw on the side of the trail camped out in bivy sacks. And I thought one of them was kind of off the trail. I thought, oh, maybe there's more people off the trail. I just didn't, I just didn't give a shit about passing anybody. I didn't care. I was so focused. I became so focused on what I was doing that I had tunnel vision on that trail. I couldn't see anything else. But the trail, I can't, dis I just, I it's very hard for me to put it in words. Mm -hmm. But... It's something in the years since that have become autopilot for me. I get into this zone. I've done, hey, listen, after that race, so I win that race, right? I could not believe that, but it, it taught me that we underestimate ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally. People can do a lot more than they think they can, but I was still kind of freaked out by the whole deal because I was like, I have no idea how I did this, but I kind of, I'm digging the way I feel. Like, you know, like you were, it was Were you uh, on a high? Oh yeah, yeah totally, okay. totally. I mean, immediately when the race was yeah. over, all the pain came back into my body I, and I, I was had, frozen. Yeah. You know, but in the moment, I don't know if it was adrenaline, what it was, but my body and my brain went somewhere else. And I understood in that moment all the stuff I've read over the years about athletes that talk about this. I'm like, oh, you know what? It kind of makes sense, but there's no reason we can't do this or feel this good every day, you know, when we're doing like there's I, I've spoken to entrepreneurs or politicians or people that excel at what they do. And they kind of get the same vibe. Like they they are so after what they're going after. And it can be anything. A chef. Like it's like they you or an artist. They like they're they're in this kind of like high of the moment and there's a focus and you almost can't remember what just happened. You know? But you're constantly searching to feel it again. So I started competing right? in ultra marathons all over the world on that note, trying to figure out how did I do this? How, like jar it up. Right. right but can I go back to a bit of that addictive personality that you found that in the smoking and in the drinking and there and then almost like that feeling that you got, it's addictive. Like you wanted to feel that high. Yeah, I wanted again. to feel that well, I think it, I think it's this. This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They're a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. I can speak to this personally as I've been using the extension marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com.
You know, I remember going back in time that not only was smoking one of the hardest things that, that I had to change in my life, but it was becoming happy. And I learned, being completely honest with myself, that being negative and being unhappy in life is a lot easier than being happy. Looking at the dark side of things or the gray side of things is a lot easier to do because there's a lot of negative energy out there, right? And even though outwardly throughout my first 30 years, I appeared to be this happy-go-lucky guy, not much different than perhaps what you're sensing mm. from me now, jacked up, all that. But inside, I was not at all. I was uh, lack of confidence, um, unmotivated, unhappy, uh, looking at always the glass as half empty, you know? And I remember when, I remember, I, 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 I don't know if it was in some Anthony Robbins thing I saw on TV or a book I read I can't, or an article, but I remembered somebody saying some point, you have to work at being happy if you really want to be happy. If you've never been happy, how are you supposed to be happy, right? And so I, um, I remember that I was at a gas station somewhere and I was pumping gas into my car, the $3 that I had, so it didn't take very long. And I remember looking across at the gas pumps and there was like this other guys pumping gas into his car and our eyes briefly met in a really uncomfortable sort of like <laughs> gate. We were gazing. And uh, I remembered, I just thought, I just smiled at the guy and then he smiled back and something, it made me feel good. And I remember thinking, so that's like a tiny, and, and it made my day better, right? And that little bit of positive energy, that tiny, I thought, well, that's interesting, you know? So instead of like driving down the road and being angry at every single person that's on the road around me, you know, instead of just saying, you know what, whatever, we're in traffic now and let that person in. And you know what, I, I just started to take a different approach to things. And I think after the Yukon, and going forward through running, which running, I always say, became my greatest teacher. It taught me that the more you practice these things and the more you implement things in life, the more they become natural. And after a while, when you open yourself up, I'm going to use a corny, corny term, you open yourself up to the universe, right? And to what you're capable of and the things you can do, that positivity, you start to see it more and it affects you. And once you become kind of person who sees the glass as half full and you become an optimist instead of a pessimist, let's say, you kind of just, you it becomes addictive. That positive energy becomes addictive and you want to feel it more and then it becomes very natural. And then you look back at the way you used to think about things and you go, wow, I, you know, I just can't believe I ever thought that way about simple things. Hey, everybody has bad days. I still have mm. multiple bad days. But I'm talking like, instead of it being 5149 unhappy, it's 5149 happy, right? And that changes everything. It changes your whole perspective on life and what you're capable of doing. Like I had like a smile just listening to you. It's like it's like you shift like and then like as you're talking, it's like okay, like you're you're personalizing, right? As you're saying these things, I'm like what am I doing? Like, <laughs> what what have I done? Am I thinking negatively? Am I looking at things positive? It's such a the, the opening yourself up to the universe. I mean, there are so many books, every self-help, every, you know, like this is, there is truth to it. Yeah, here's like, the thing about we, all the books and stuff too, that I think that we try, so we search and we search and we, this is my personal experience. Mm, yeah. We, there's a lot of guides out there, whatever, right? But we search and we, 
it's in every single one of us already. All these things exist in a person. If any one of your listeners that are listening right now that are feeling funky and sort of out of sorts, it's in that person, right? It's already there. It's just you got to find a way to get to it, you know? And I think it's a very natural thing. I think we all have – I am a firm believer. People think it's a line. I believe people are capable of extraordinary things. When we reach the edge of the Sahara, 7,500K of running, 111 days. I did the calculations when I was out there. I ran further in the Sahara than the amount of time that I spent on my feet to that point. And still, I made it to the edge of the Red Sea with these other two ultra-running legends, right? I ran every step of the way with these guys. And yeah, okay, in the two years previous or three years previous, I did, I was a competitive ultra-runner. I went from a guy who didn't run to winning ultra-marathons. So for sure, I've got it in me to run long distances. But it doesn't negate the fact that seven years or so before that day, I'm still smoking a pack a day day of cigarettes. And fairly sedentary. I started running like, what, four years before I reached the edge of the Red Sea? Something like that. I mean, not a long time. Wow. And, and, and I ran across the whole Sahara. Not easy conditions, I can promise you, through sand and heat and sandstorms. Okay, I was you know? able to watch, yeah. And I hope people take the opportunity. Like, the running the Sahara, uh, fa- like this film, I was watching as many clips as I, as I could kind of steal from it. Uh, executive produced and narrated by Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. It was funny. Like I Googled you and then all of a sudden like here pops up you and Matt Damon. And I'm like, this guy's talked to everybody. <laughs> He's talked to Oprah. Well, you, know, you know, like, it, like I, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating. But that, there was so much in that film because you've got relationships. Like that wasn't just you. There's relationships and people and each of you at certain points are reaching your limits. There's the government. There's the the issue of the population and what's going on. That was waking up to the water issues uh, as well, which became, I think, a big massive part of, of mm. everything. But it was so much more than just running. Like, you know what? I think the biggest thing for me that I took in running this hair, and you're right on all those things. There's so many things. But, I mean – you know, we learned about the water crisis in North Africa. Changed my perspective. I was a kid who in school just really didn't give a shit about school. Like, I mean, I just didn't care about school. Am I allowed to say shit on the podcast? You can say it And uh, so I didn't really uh, care about school or any of that stuff. That's why I barely got out of high school, you know. And 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 as I said before, I just never completed my, my studies in college. And um, I was learning so much about a culture and people, the water crisis. I was learning about economics. I was learning about geography. I was learning about everything on an adventure because right. I was running across as the Sahara. As you're running, as we're running, you're you're the the you're soaking in so you're much so, information. And it, like, and it became, it became, and, and, and from a personal perspective, acceptance. The reality was this was 111 days, an average of 70 kilometers a day of running without a day off. Okay. Right? I, I want people to put that in perspective. That's like three marathons. No, no, no. Wait, okay, mar- about a marathon mar- and a half plus, like a day. One and a half marathons plus a day. Yeah. In conditions that are... It was intense heat, sandstorms. I mean, it got really bad out there sometimes. In the movie, doesn't you can't... We were in the sand dunes for weeks. Running through sand is nothing but sand dunes for weeks. So, I mean, it was... For sure, very difficult. But like, okay, so can I ask you? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm fa- like, I have a thousand questions, mm. right? Um, like, are your feet burning? Like, you're running. Yeah, I've been in, in hotter places. I, I crossed Death Valley off road in the middle of summer in 2011. I mean, the ground temperatures were 145, 150 degrees Fahrenheit. Every time your foot is 
It was hot it enough in okay. Death Valley because we were off-road on this, these salt flats and rocks, 250K, that it melted eventually the bottom of my shoe. Like, it, the rubber was just peeling off because it was too hot for the bottom of the shoes, destroyed the shoes there. Atacama Desert in 2011, I ran in the summer. The Atacama is the driest place on earth, one of the driest places on earth, from the Peruvian border to Copiapo in Chile. It was 55 degrees Celsius some days. The heat was so intense, and there's like, you know, a giant hole in the ozone layer, right? So the UV, the UV I had to wear long sleeves, long pants. My face was just burning off. There's the SPF 50, nothing. Didn't do a thing out there, you know? Like it was, so I've been in some really hot places. I've been on both ends of the thermometer. But, but yeah, the Sahara was hot too, for sure. But the feet, less of an issue. It was more the sand, 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 everywhere sand. It was everywhere. Everywhere. Running in shorts that were like sandpaper. That's basically what it was like, you know? I, I, like I'm, I'm grasping. I'm like soaking this in. I, I can't because I, I don't know. Maybe as an athlete, like I know how the body hurts. Like I know the pain that it feels like to one step forward on like a, a sword. Like it, it was endless. And it, was, and it wasn't like you could go to bed or take a bath and take an Epsom salt and be like, I'm yeah. going to feel better tomorrow. Tomorrow it's going to be – because tomorrow it just – it was yeah, the repetitive. Spa was not and you did open. that for 111 days. 111 days. And like even worse, like we only had two, two showers, real showers the entire time in 111 days. Can you imagine how funky? Oh, my God. No. You really guys bad. really had to be but I've been, I've been, I've been in situations like that. Like I've, you know, crossing Siberia – or when we went to the South Pole for 30 days wearing the same long underwear, it never comes off. So gross. You just throw all that stuff out again. So disgusting. <laughs> you just toss it. Okay, so we go from this intense heat of the Sahara, um, of which, just really quickly before we go to the South Pole and the cold, um, was it interesting to work with, you know, Hollywood, like an analyst yeah, or like that? Like, like, Matt Damon, yeah. real deal. I mean, the guy, we were uh, then on the board of the One by One Foundation mm-hmm. after that. And so I would meet him. I'd see him at the Toronto Film Festival in mm-hmm. the years following. And uh, just a super nice guy. Very genuine. Like there's no, he's not like, uh, I guess, I don't know. I don't, I'm not a Hollywood movie star. No, so I, I don't know. But he's, he's like a really genuine, honest, down to earth guy who does a lot of philanthropic projects that people don't even know mm-hmm. about. Like the millions and millions of dollars that he's raised for water projects in Africa. It's crazy. I mean, he does a lot of stuff under the radar. I th- and I think that's the best part. And I think that's why there's an appreciation, you know, yeah. uh, for individuals like that. And I think I'm very similar to you, right? Like we've our, our lives have crisscrossed people of, of celebrity status. And, and the more you're around it, the more you realize how normal, oh, how normal they actually can be. And um, – and, and having these discussions with them is really quite enjoyable. But I liked hearing his voice. I liked the fact that he was a part uh, of this project. Okay, so we, we do the 111 Days in the Sahara. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, the t- what's the thought process as you're in this intense heat to be like, I'm going to go into minus 50? No, it was, it, well, you know. <laughs> is, no, is there that like? A big thought process, I go back to the, this acceptance that it's taught me it's such a huge thing that like when things get really hard, and you think there's no way I'm going to make it. You just accept that it's if I want to do this, it's going to be 90 more days. You know, 20 days are in. It's going to be 90 more days of the same thing. 90. That's a long time, right? And then you're down to 75 days. And then you're down to six. And so it's helped me in everything else that I've done. That one thing taught me that that running the Sahara, that I can pretty much do anything that I set my mind to if I'm willing to go through the process. 
and accept that it's going to be really hard. Sometimes it's not going to feel good. I can do minus 50. I can do whatever I need to do. And it's not about the temperatures for me. It's about exploration for me. It, it's authentic. I want it to be real and, I, and, and purposeful for me. So when I'm on expedition, whether it's the Arctic or the South Pole or, where, or, or a desert somewhere, I use the latest technologies to share the expeditions with classrooms, with mm-hmm. social media. I push the limits of what I'm able to do. If it's a supported expedition, like running in the Atacama, where I'm seeing my crew every, I don't know, 20, 40, 50 K, and I'm trying to crank out 70 K days, um, then I'll bring shooters. I'll bring a good photographer. I'll bring an amazing videographer. We'll create and compile content upload it to a website that schools can use and give all that content to schools for free. If they want it, they can have it. And that's how we try to roll yeah. with these trips that and I'm And you doing, did you that. Know? I mean, I, I'm watching stuff that you did for the South Pole. Like that was... Uh, South Pole was a long time ago, for sure. Like 2009. That's 2000. Okay, so that's 2009. But I know that there was a big process of doing the education there was for that, that one. Like for there was, all of yeah. Them. There is for so, all of them. I think that it's in, in recent years. And the South Pole, difficult expedition for sure. But... For me, the Canadian Arctic in the middle of winter, when yeah. you're there in February, it's a completely different ball game, because the the there's uh, the potential of broken ice and and um, there is incredible storms. It gets dark, and when it gets dark, it gets really cold. There's polar bears. There's you know there's yeah, there's look- so much more to the landscape, and the Canadian Arctic is insanely beautiful. You know, have have you ever felt like you were in a in a situation like I could die? Yeah, many times. But I, I, you know, I'm a dad. Obviously, I got my kids. Yeah. So I'm, uh, you know, I want to, I want to make sure that I am uh, approaching things as safely as I possibly can. We plan these expeditions for years in advance. So when I go to the grocery store, I just hop in the car and drive to the grocery. Store. I don't even think about what could happen on the way to the grocery store. Get in a car accident, etc. You don't map your route out, you know. So. On this expedition or any expedition that I'm doing, I plan every footstep as much as I can. I relive it in my brain over and over again. But occasionally, shit happens. And I've had expeditions. I've done tons of projects in the Arctic. Tons. But bad luck in 2017, I was scouting ahead on a river system. I was with my teammate Stefano from Italy. And um, I was scouting ahead. I have the most experience in the Arctic. So... We were unsupported in this region of the Arctic. We had these giant pulks, these sleds filled with all our gear. And we, um, I left the sleds with Stefano and we moved one section at a time. I scouted this river and I was scouting it up and up. And I just, the weather was not consistent. You know, the world is changing. The climate is changing. The weather was not consistent. And it wasn't the minus 50 every day and wind blowing ice that one needed for the month before we got there, it was like, I heard in the days coming, minus 31 day, minus five the next, minus 40 day, you know, so the weather was mixed up. So the wet, the ice conditions weren't great on this river system. Anyhow, I'm climbing up through these rapids, these frozen rapids and very small waterfalls, like nothing more than a few meters high, but I'm navigating and negotiating that I would hike back down. Okay, Stephen, I'll pull the gear forward. We pull the gear forward. I do the next section. I was on the last section about to cross this set of rapids that were frozen. The ice acoustically, when I was on it with my crampons and my poles and I'm testing it, sounded perfect for what I was used to and the experience level that, that, that I've had. And we were in a gorge at that point with no shore, if you will. 
and uh, we had climbed quite a bit of elevation. So the water had tons of current. Um, and I was just about to look back and say, okay, we're clear. Let's haul the gear and poof, I broke through into that river. And the water and the current almost, it was deeper than I could stand with my feet and almost pulled me underneath. The, the, so it would have pulled me the hundreds of feet that we've climbed behind all these waterfalls to obviously, you know, my demise. So I, of course, immediately was in shock because I'm in this water and I'm thinking, this this can't be real. And what was fascinating about this, and I'm writing, I'm actually writing my third book now, and this is, I'm starting the book with this story because I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And what I remember the most was I was no more than three meters from Stefano when I was checking this last piece. Three meters. He was against this rock wall where it was safe. And he was, he, Stefano's a big guy. We purposely were not roped into one another because the ice, if it broke, would have no stability because there was no, it's just, you know, you can imagine this sheet of ice between these two rock walls. Lucky we weren't, or the whole thing would have collapsed. But when I went in that water, I immediately thought that he wasn't there, that he was hundreds of meters. That's where my brain went. My brain went, Stefano has no idea that I've fallen in the ice. He's down the the waterfalls, hundred, and I'm so I'm yelling to him, Stefano, I've broken through the ice. I, broke. I mean, he's right behind me. You know, he's like, I, I, I'm here, I'm here, you know. Anyhow, there was this moment of shock where I know well enough after being on multiple trips in the Arctic, multiple expeditions, uh, winter and summer, that when you're in that water, you haven't got much time, you know, and it's... Like, I'm thinking you hit that water, like, you're, everything just... It was immediately, but you're in such a massive oh. amount of adrenaline yeah. that I'm doing everything I can. So it's it, I've broken through. I've created this hole. And it's just my elbows that are propped up, and I can see air. So I had I had broken through what's called overflow. I won't get into the technical details of it, but suffice to say, I broke through two layers of ice. So there was this giant air pocket. That's why I thought acoustically the ice was okay. It didn't sound like mm -hmm. an air pocket because the ice was thick that top layer, but nonetheless weak spot in the ice I broke through. So my elbows are propped up. So I'm seeing the blackness between the water and my elbows, if you can imagine. And, and so I'm just held up by my elbows right now. And my snowshoes and crampons are pulling me underneath and I can't get my, I'm trying to get my boots off and let them go down. I don't, I don't care at this point. All I want to do is see my family. And so I don't care if my feet freeze, whatever get these boots off so that I can get out of this hole. And I could not get my boots on. My boots were undone as they always are when I'm on river sections in the Arctic in case something ever happened. But it was my snowshoes that were keeping my boots on. They were, they, the straps were just a bit too tight. Anyhow, one last effort to try and, because I knew I had about two minutes maximum to get out of this water, I pulled my right leg out. And the shape of the hole, I hyperextended my leg. My hamstring's still to this day injured from it. And... My crampon on the side of my snowshoe hooked the side of this. It's kind of hard to describe on the radio, but hooked the side of this hole on a funky angle. And immediately and instinctively, I pushed against it enough that I could get my back up out of the hole. And then I forced my body out and rolled into the snow. And when that happened, I, I it, it was like a blank in memory. I was just it, it, conscious, unconscious, conscious, and I'm laughing. I could not believe that I got out of that hole and I lived. Like I was so in that moment grateful to be alive that I was actually, if we get out of this, the shit has hit the fan, but if we can get out of here alive, 
I'm going to see my family again. Like it was like the greatest gift ever. And my friends that know me really well, um, and, and, and I've never told anybody this before. They, they just, my close circle of friends, they call, they, they, there's pre-River Ray and post-River Ray and things have gone <laughs> to a completely different level post-River Ray because I have cut the chaff from my life completely. We spent two days trekking out from that uh, location where that happened, Stefano and I, I have this emergency, Canada Goose made this emergency down suit for me uh, that I immediately, it was in my sled. I've dragged it in my sled in the Arctic for years, never used it. I'm so glad I had it in my sled because it saved my life. Threw that on, hiked out of there with boots made out of ice water. I mean, they, were, they froze solid to my feet. So I had frostbite on my feet. I was hypothermic, but I was alive, you know? And when we eventually got out of there, Stefano and I talked, and, and that was the beginning of our expedition. We had two other regions of the Canadian Arctic that we were crossing unsupported that winter and we successfully did them what you didn't yes. come home no no i came home I'm in like, between what? to get the gear for what? the next section like yes are you not but, on the next plane home i we, we went home yeah resupplied our gear for the next oh my section God. and then left i'm thinking like you, you're coming home and you're spending a couple days at the nordic spa no no and no, you're not no, going no, no, anywhere no, no. it was like 24 hour turnaround just get the skis wow. and the other gear because we couldn't like fly this, this is another this is another way but, of living this, oh my but, god okay but this is the thing that's yeah. so important that i want to share yeah. with you wasn't that whole story of, you know <laughs> uh going in the river stefano says to me because he speaks he's italian barely speaks any english and he says to me ray you like swimming in the arctic because every time there's water and he just assumes that i want to go yeah. swimming but i obviously don't want to so anyhow what i took from it it was like a I've had this amazing experience up to this point, 2017 now, you know, like when this happened, 17 years of learning. And it was like a kick in the arse to say, you have not figured everything else. You haven't figured everything out. Mm. Be humble in your approach to these expeditions. I needed to be safer, plan better, you know, um, know and be very aware of my strengths. You never stop learning. I've, I've crossed, I told you, 14,000 kilometers of deserts. Some of those alone. I mean, long days of being alone and unsupported for sections before seeing my team in the desert ones, the Arctic expeditions are always unsupported, always. But I haven't learned everything yet and I'm still learning. And, um, you know, I came home and I immediately removed any negativity from my life. That experience taught me to really appreciate the people in my life, friendships that are reciprocal, not these these fictitious friendships you have where unless you're reaching out to people to say, hey, how are you doing? How's your family? Or, or, but you know, there's people in your life, they reach out to you when they need something. And it's not that they mean to be that way. It's just the way it is. And you can accept that or you cannot accept that. And it wasn't like animosity or anger or judginess. It was just like, you know what? I got another kick at the can here. Screw this. I'm like closing the group, right? And I... Just, I let all that go in my life. I let any remaining negative negative energy that I could, I tried to let it go after that and learn from it and appreciate and spend time more with friends and family, with people that really want to, you know, that dig what I'm about and I dig what they're about, right? And it's it just, it just, it was liberating in some ways, even though it sounds like a really negative no, thing. I, no, and I get time, it. I, but I learned a lot from it. Absolutely. You know? Do you call home and do you say, hey, honey, um, so this happened today or like oh, what, what, uh, what's, listen, the, what's the call rock. home? She's like, uh, you know, 
she's a very special because she a it. she loses you for a couple months of you know these yeah. expeditions are not you know overnight yeah. uh, overnight business trips. Let's not forget this lady just ran two hundred miles nonstop in California through the mountains in a race with a lung infection and finished. You guys are like I the incredible. You guys are like the incredible. No, she, she takes it to a whole new level. She's like silent but deadly. Like I'm the loud one in the family, obviously, mm-hmm. but she has. Uh, it's very inspiring. I like to go to her races. Yeah. Just to crew her and watch what she does because it's so unbelievable to me what how, she pulls off. How did you guys meet? She has a real job too, yeah. right? You know, and all this stuff. How did she, you guys meet? I was on the running circuit. No, was at, it a, running? at a uh, Westboro. You know, or is this in Ottawa? Can we say Westboro Chiropractic in Ottawa, Dwayne yeah. Smith's office? I was helping out doing some core. I was a strength trainer like my brother in those days in 2004. And I was helping out a client with some ball exercises and she happened to walk into the wrong office, which was the right office in my case. And then that was, you know, how it all began. But, you know, she she took on trail running and ultra running. And then um, now our daughters Mm -hmm. are amazing runners and they they have her running technique. Kathy's a very efficient runner. Do they run with the lions? Like are they running running groups or anything? No, we're just doing – No, we're just rolling. We we want them to do – the stuff they want to do mm-hmm. at the level they want to do it. Mia, the older, our oldest, is an incredible skate skier. And and she's learning biathlon this year. Mm-hmm. She's a great shot. But if she wants to race, she'll race. If she doesn't want to race, she doesn't have to race. I just want them to be happy and passionate about what they do without any expectations. Like, just go and find something. I don't care what it is. But be passionate about something and try. And that's why, with the foundation, you know, it all sort of comes to this. When I finished running the Sahara, and I was telling you about this before, when our hands went in the water and that was, it was it, I, Kathy was there and I said, you know. Yeah, Laura, was she there to join you at the end? She was there okay, at the very yeah, end yeah. and she said, she wanted to know what the first thing was that I thought of when our hands hit the water and I said, it's, it's no limits. And she said, you know, what are you talking about you? And I said, human potential has no limits. People have no limits to what they're capable of doing if they truly believe that they can. And you know, I said, I'm going to make it my, I want that to be part of my mission. If that can be a corny thing, like I want, I want to be able to inspire people through my expeditions to realize that they, they really can do anything that they set their minds to. And so I started the foundation impossible to possible, uh, the organization, uh, it is 100%, no charge, no cost. And what we do is we take young people, 16, 17, 18 years old, on their own expeditions around the world that are learning-based. So remember I was learning in Africa when I was running across the Sahara about the water crisis Mm -hmm. or about the people and the culture and the landscape? Well, every impossible-to-possible youth expedition is combined with a relevant educational program. So they work together to teach. So you got five or six youth ambassadors, that's what we call them, and they're running across Tunisia and they're learning about the Sahara Desert. They're creating modules about that. They're talking about the water situation in North Africa in their own way. And thousands of students on the other end of that website are patched into their peers doing something extraordinary and learning from them. Where are these ambassadors coming from? Like how? Oh, they come from everywhere. I don't pick them. They come from everywhere. You don't pick them. No, I don't personally pick them. You've got someone. Because I would assume that there's, you know... I, like, I either go a handful or hundreds of kids that are wanting to be able oh, to get in on this. Are you kidding me? I'm we like, put, I'm we like, put the application up on Facebook for like two weeks because we're a nonprofit. I mean, we're all volunteers. Our executive director is paid a pittance. He's the only one, and he's in Los Angeles, and he uh, runs the organization. 
he does 50 million things. We we can't we don't have the 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 bandwidth for the selection. So would so people we'll get be going thousands of people thousands applying to be, be yep. to, to get and onto this all ambassador? Amazing kids. That's what I'm saying, right? Is like going through their resumes of what these kids are, have accomplished or what they're looking to accomplish. You've got the cream of the crop or, that or, you're even aware of the work that you're doing and that not, this exists. They have such massive potential and they're not even aware yeah. of it. You know, I remember uh, uh, Brandon Sands came from. Um, Canadian First Nations from, I forget the name of uh, his community. Anyhow, there's still been so many youth ambassadors. And he was such an extraordinary individual. And he uh, completed this run in uh, Bolivia. They crossed the Bolivian Altiplano, him and four youth ambassadors. And Brandon was one of, is one of the most inspiring youth ambassadors I, I can remember. And I hear a couple of years later, somebody sent me an email. Hey, did you see Brandon? I said, what's he doing? He's speaking at the Meet a Wee thing in Edmonton. I mean, mm. he's just this amazing guy who became so inspiring in his own way. And all we've had 65 youth ambassadors on expeditions around the world. They've all got on to be inspiring. Wow, so 65 already. So how many are going out? We've done your... 15 youth expeditions. So it's like an average of anywhere between four and six youth ambassadors on an expedition. But we, like, it's expensive to do. And we cover everything. So we do one youth expedition a year. It's all we can afford to do. I, is it corporate support? I mean, you corporate talk about... Corporate support. Okay. Corporate support. Uh, impossible to possible. Is all the information for people listening or Yeah, if they go on like, my website, yeah. raiseahab.com, yeah. there's links. Yeah. And to impossible to possible, they'll find it. Rather than trying to spell it all out here on the, you know. No, no, no. So like, they'll yeah, find the links yes. to Impossible Possible. And then, you know, they can follow me on Instagram, Facebook. I have a public page. as does Impossible to Possible. And so my expeditions happen usually in February, March time period. I've been, the, most of the mm -hmm. deserts have been in the Southern Hemisphere. So I run across, I try to hit these deserts in the middle of summer. Um, and I try to go to the Arctic in the middle of winter. Why in the middle of summer? Because that's when we think of deserts. We think of the heat. We think of... So you want that. I want to go in the most sort of authentic time for me. You know what I mean? When I crossed the Atacama, I wanted to cross the Atacama in the middle of summer. Just like Death Valley. Just like the Patagonian Desert. Just like the Gobi... I crossed the if, Gobi if, Desert in the middle of summer. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it. You're going to... It's either go all, you're going yeah. all in. I remember, because uh, I did Kilimanjaro with Sean Dawson uh, in his Dream Mountains, and mm -hmm. he took us in, like, the middle of winter, uh, like, w when it was the worst, like, that he's like, we will probably get into snowstorms, and the, the you know, the summit night was going to be 16 hours in a snowstorm, and, and it was, and I'm like, you know, and I have other people I've talked to that did it, and they're like, oh, it wasn't cold, like, we didn't have that, and I'm like, no, no, it was, like, like, brutal up there yeah. and, and i'm i'm kind of grateful that if i was gonna do it and be able to tell the story of being on the snow caps of, of kilimanjaro that we did it when there was you know it's that. you bring up an interesting thing in the and and i've had people for years say when are you gonna do impossible to possible for adults and i'm like look at you know what one nonprofit organization <laughs> is like it's hard to we just it, it, finding the time to be able to do the things that we're doing with I2P, that's what we call for short, is, it, it, you know, it's tough. So I've started another guiding company. Um, this is for adults. And these are going to be truly authentic expeditions that people will spend a year training for once they register. And uh, uh, more information about that, if people stay tuned to my Instagram yeah. or my website, we're going to be launching very soon. And we'll be conducting one, maybe two trips a year. They will never be repeated. They happen only once. And it's going to give people an experience like what I do, just like a 10-day slice, you know, to these Do they places. need to be runners? Do they need to? 
No, they're going to be incredibly challenging trips. So people will have to spend a year of dedicated training probably, unless you're you know, already doing Ironmans or whatever. I mean, you know, you, but we'll give them and, everything but, and, they and need. Endurance. You need to have some yeah. – you'll need to have that endurance mindset. You're gonna have, yes. Okay. I would say. Because like I mean, right now not, I am like so close to – I'm like signing up for well, this. Like it's, right now I am so there and I'm like, but I – but. I, Without taking the negative thinking away, I'm not in. I'm not yeah, in. You, that, that, I'm not in a, you a distance. Know. Like I, you don't I, know because you haven't done it. Well, I, I've I've done a half. I, well, half's was, distance. It killed me. It killed we'll me. Talk and when it we took, get I, off I know. <laughs> I was I was in a uh, uh, I was a gymnast, a non aerobic sport. Um, but I think it's fascinating. I think you're going to have a lot of people whose minds are going to be spinning I right think now. It's, I'm excited. So you're now in planning mode. Next right, expedition. because you, next expedition. Do we know where the, are you allowed to say where it is or yeah, what you're this doing? This is going on in January, so I can tell you now because yeah. we're just waiting for final logistics. But my my goal in February 2019 is to cross the Kamchatka Peninsula in Russia, unsupported from coast to coast. So Kamchatka, because I see the look in your eyes right now, you're like, what? The I, hell I am. Is he it's talking like, about? I'm like, do I know? So this? did you ever play Risk when you were a kid? Yeah. The board game Risk. Yeah. Well, if you got Kamchatka, you ruled the world. It's that chunk of land, if you recall, that hangs off of Russia, kind of like Florida. Like that, okay. like a peninsula. Mm-hmm. And it's between Alaska and the Russian mainland in okay. Siberia. If you look at, at a map, you're going to see it and you're going to be like, oh my God, I totally know what that is. It's is, that place in the world. And is this supported? Non-supported? Unsupported. Unsupported. Usually you're saying when you're doing the Arctic. Arctic or cold weather stuff, unsupported because we have the means to do it unsupported. Uh, you've so. got the sleds I've seen yeah. like and, and, and the gears in there. And okay, so and then how long is that one anticipated? We don't know because there's, it's uncharted territory. It could take us 20 days. It could take us 30 days. Okay. What do you say to the girls as you're heading out on these trips? Like, oh well, you know, it, it's it's months of preparation. They they're talking about I, it now. They know daddy's going. They now. know daddy. Oh like, yeah, that, like they're the mindset it. for them is it's just part of life that daddy daddy's, daddy's gone job. and daddy's gone for it's months at a time. Yeah, or a month, you know, or a month and a half. I try to. Last year we ran across Namibia. That was eighteen hundred kilometers. Some of the most difficult kilometers I've ever ran in my life. Anyhow. And I think door to door, we were 45 days, you know, like for the whole, exp- that means set up and What's tear down at the end. What's the first thing you do when you come home? You know, I don't have the, you know, how people say, oh, you must get like the culture shock thing or like the hard, hard to come back to real life. Nope. I think that's part of the psychological thing that happened. I've done 15 major expeditions, 15 youth expeditions. Over time, my body, now my brain just goes into this automatic expedition ray or home ray. And the minute I get on that plane to go home, it feels like I've been gone a day. I get home. Okay, honey, you want me to take the garbage out? Whatever. I'm I'm down with it. It's that like, kind of deal. It, it's, I'm right it's back into normal mode. Fascinating mindset. What what item? What novelty? I mean, your I I have my Starbucks coffee. Or like, is is there an item like that I bring on the expedition? One that you one that you always have with you, and one that you miss the most. Like what? Well, I have piece a ring that's my wedding ring mm-hmm. that I use that I bring with me on all expeditions, even though it freezes my hand off. And it's a Tuareg, the Nomads of the Sahara. It's a Tuareg ring. It was given to me. Uh, by someone during running the Sahara, and there's like it's the only one, and so it's my I use it as my wedding ring, symbol of that, and so I, I'll bring that with me on expedition. I also bring coffee. I mean, I'm not going on expedition. I don't care if this unsupported. Stefano's a coffee drinker. I'm a coffee drinker. We will not sacrifice the coffee for the weight. The coffee has. We pare down everything. You know, we cut tags <laughs> off of jackets and stuff to lower the weight, but we bring all the coffee. The coffee is very important. And um, you're not boiling water. How, like, how are you oh, getting yeah, boiling water? You're Bring boiling wa- water yeah. in the Arctic. Yeah, yeah, like, for sure. You have yeah, to you, drink. So, right. What are you, so, gonna, you can't just eat snow. So, you just have all the tools. Yeah. Like, you've. Bring it all. You bring a stove. 
It's okay, what do you miss? Here. Yeah, I, I mean, what I do know. I miss? Yeah, what do you miss the most? Oh, my, my kids and my okay, wife. Like, you know? I, Sorry, okay, like, are you talking about? I, I'm talking okay. like, let's talk materialistic. Like, materialistic what? Like, things? do you I, crave a food? Is there like? I crave, you know what? I crave salmon, but I'm craving salmon right now. Talking to you. I could eat salmon like five times so a day. So when you're in the middle of desert, but in I'd be like full of mercury degree. and stuff like yeah. that. Probably, right? Is that what's in it? Or antibiotics or something? So you're craving salmon. Yeah, I crave salmon when I'm away. I do. Okay. Isn't that weird? And vegetables. By the end of an expedition, in any part of the world that I go, all you want is a salad. Like the thought of greens. Yes. The thought of green food. A cucumber. Oh. You know. Anyhow. That's, I see. I got, there's so much. I'm like, I'm getting, am I getting like the, I'm getting like the major, I got to wrap this up. So what we're going to do is I'm just going to have you back on when you come home. Okay, <laughs> perfect, yeah. Uh, to to kind of figure, to talk to talk about that. Um, because I, I really want to put emphasis, I loved so much the the positive thinking of things. Like I am really hoping to walk out of the studio today and 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 work on that shifting mindset. Oh. It's huge. Just being in your presence, you feel it. Like it's an, it's infectious. Well, I think that, but I think that anybody that's got, that's got a lot of passion, you pick that up off of them. Like when somebody's really passionate about something, you can't fake authentic. I've said that so many times. Mm. You can't fake it. You either feel it or you don't. And you know when it's not real. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so you know when you're personally not being real, you know? And it, there's just something about it, right? And in summary, you have literally one kick at the can. You have one life. There's a lot of people that get a lot less time than we do, right? You know? We all have our own individual experiences and our individual lives to worry about. But the reality is we're here for a finite amount of time. It doesn't go on forever. And so you, I wake up every day. You know, I woke up this morning. Mm-hmm. I could hear the kids at 5.30 running all over the house. And all I could think of was, thank God I'm up at 5.30 this morning because it's going to give me an extra few hours. Instead of getting up at 6.30, I have this extra hour so the day will last longer so I can do more things because it feels like life is just speeding by. And I want to live every moment because I want to live in appreciation of life, not looking forward just to the weekend. I want every day to be awesome. You know what I mean? And it can be random, doing random things. It doesn't have to be something extraordinary that you're doing every day. It's just existing and realizing that, you know, you've only got so much time in your life. Yeah. You got to live it. it. But it's, it's believing that you're capable of that. That believing that an individual is capable when that when you got woken up at 5.30 instead of at 6.30 to to, to appreciate it rather than see the, the naked. The, I'm going to get the cane soon, around the neck thing soon where no, it's no, like, no. you know, you got to no, just like pull you off the stage thing. You know, I, look at, yes, true. Old Ray would have said, oh, shite. You know, now I got to get up. I'm going to, you know. But that's just not the way I've looked at things for dozens of years mm-hmm. now. So it's like autopilot for me. So I, I'm stoked. I mean, yeah, okay. If, if we were up late the night before, then yeah, yeah I'm going to be bummed. But on the, in general, 90% of the time, I'm thinking, Let's okay, good. This is awesome. Let's just like, you know. Okay, I'm going to get you back on because I think this was awesome. And I'm trying to soak in as much information. But if in the meantime, people, there's some TEDx talks, there's books. So where can people find Just more? Just go to my website. I think people, yeah, the books are there. That are nah, like, you know what, the books, I, the, wait not, for the next book. Yeah. The next book's going to, you know. Well, you, you're talking about starting off with the the ice, you know, the fall through the yeah, ice. Yeah, there's like, going to be a lot of stuff. The yeah. next book is going to be what's happened. It's good. Just wait for the next book. I don't know how long it's going to take, maybe a year. But go to my website. Yeah. And then there's links to my past expeditions. There's a couple of key videos there. Trans Namibia, the last expedition I did, 
the videos, there's links to the website yeah. for that expedition. There's some amazing content there. People can really get a vibe what it's all about. Yeah, I loved your vibe. Oh Thank my God, you. I love it. I really do. Um, I'm walking out of this room different mindset today perfect for sure I am um, that was awesome okay so I've great way to kick off the year let me just say it that way just great way to attack 2019 uh, let's be realistic if you like the podcast like subscribe share it please let people know that this podcast exists it's got some amazing stories uh, and to be able to share the message of people living extraordinary lives that's a wrap of living your life with Leanne Lang Ray like total pleasure thanks thank so you. much thank you so much that's fun. Oh my God, I totally, I could have gone another that hour. Yeah, we could have. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.